Super excited to be with you guys this morning. As uh, Pastor John said, my name is Chris Gervin. Uh, my family's here uh, with me today, and we're just, yeah, so happy to come and fellowship with you this morning. So just quickly, background, like why Red Deer? I grew up in Red Deer. I got into a lot of trouble as a young person, and Red Deer was totally on the wrong path, and the Lord, in his mercy, uh, saved me. And I bowed the knee to Christ, and God drastically changed my life, and I always had a heart if I could ever go back uh, to that city and be a, a gospel influence and sharing Christ with others and encouraging and building up the church, I would, I would love to do that. Uh, when we first started attending uh, Redemption Calgary North about two years ago, and moved to Cochrane to finish my master's, um, the first question uh, Pastor Trevor at Redemption uh, Calgary North said to me, he said, have you ever thought about church planting? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, never in a million years you got the wrong person. And um, as I was finishing my schooling and we're praying and looking, uh, Lord, where would you leave, uh, lead us? Um, even more so, my conviction that I was not the person to plant a church would increase. But actually, my, uh, my conviction about the God that we serve is mighty and powerful, and, he can, and he's the one who plants the church, and he's the one who starts it, and he can gather the right people together to see it happen was much greater than that. And so I said, yes, Lord, we're willing, and we're, we're, let's say yes to this, and we'll see what you will do, Lord. We absolutely love uh, redemption churches, we love what we stand for. I love the mission to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and matured people multiplied all to the glory of God. That's the Great Commission. That's what we're, we're to be about, uh, period. And then I love what John talked about, the six um, distinctives that we, that we hold to, especially, you know, fervent prayer. Everything's built on, we're, we're before the Lord. We're, we're asking him to do a miracle to start a new church as he's done here in Olds, as he's done in Calgary in the north and in the south. And now we're saying, Lord, would you do that again in Red Deer? We're willing. So we have 12 of us who are saying, yes, we're apart. Other people are praying and considering it. And yeah, just catching up with as many people as possible. If you know anyone in Red Deer, if you have any relative, any type of connection, love to uh, get together with them, share the vision. And if not them, maybe they know someone else. Uh, who would be interested as well. So I just especially appreciate your prayer, right? We started officially March 1st. Uh, so in a few weeks later, it's like, and you can't meet with anyone in person. <laughs> but God knows what he's doing. And so it actually caused us to pray a lot more. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing the answers of those prayers that other people also have been lifting up before the throne. And we'll see what God will do. So yeah, fervent prayer, Bold preaching, which I think leads to passionate worship, right? The more we see who God is, the more we just actually want to praise and, and sing songs to him, glorify his name, as we just did. And then purposeful discipleship in the church, seeing disciples raised up, always asking, what's your next step? What's your next step to grow in your faith? Like someone, like uh, Karen, what an amazing thing to hear her testimony a bit this morning, as she is new in the faith. Wherever you're at, like, how are you drawing closer to the Lord? What does he have for you? And I love that we want to be about that in the redemption churches. Courageous evangelism, making Christ's name known. And then strategic church planting. As you guys were planted and now you're helping see another church plant in Red Deer. Like, that's an amazing thing. I just love that conviction to see more churches planted, to see healthy churches, strong uh, biblical churches. Lord, we need more of those in Alberta, in Canada. Let's keep praying for that. So this morning, I want to talk to you about one of those distinctives. I want to talk about bold preaching. Um, and so we say we want to have 
expository preaching that's also applicational. I want to say, like, why? Why is that one of the foundational stones that you want to see a church built on? And uh, in, in sharing this message, I hope to answer that question. If you uh, have a Bible on your phone, however you get into God's Word, if you'll turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, so that's primarily where we'll be. And if you're a note taker, I'm going to have other scriptures I'm going to share along the way. And if you just write down those scriptures, you can turn and look at them later and, uh, and consider it uh, outside of this time. Because I'm going to be going back and forth a little bit. So just a background to 2 Timothy. We all know the great apostle Paul, who was against the church. He was persecuting Christians, throwing them in jail. Then God met him on the road to Damascus, brought him to his knees. He turned to Christ. And then Paul used him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to see churches planted, to see disciples uh, made. And uh, he, even, he wrote a good portion of the New Testament, right? Thirteen letters the Apostle Paul. But the, the book of 2 Timothy, it is his last letter we have recorded. Paul is at the end of his life. He's sitting in a Roman jail. Uh, he is about to die. And he knows it. And he writes to his, his disciple, Timothy, who Timothy uh, came to the faith. Paul discipled him. He was also being used to plant churches, to preach the gospel, to see uh, elders raised up. And so Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, almost like his last words. What would he say to him? And I want us to really just to take note and to see his advice to him and see how God has called us to build his church. That God has given us uh, the method in which we are to do it. So if you look in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we'll just read uh, verses 1 to 8. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul is at the end of his life. He's, he's sharing with Timothy. Let's look what he says. Verses 1 to 2, I want us to see the charge that he gives to Timothy. The charge for us to come under the word of God. Verse 1, Paul writes to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And notice the witnesses of the charge. Notice how strong the language he, he uses. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. He has the same kind of charge for Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 13. And just the way he lays it out, it's not like, hey, maybe if you want to, maybe you should do this thing if you feel like it. No, like, look, what I, I'm calling God the Father and God the Son as witnesses to you. In the Old Testament, anyone who made 
a, a charge against someone, they needed two or three witnesses, right, to prove that what they were saying was, was reliable. We know in the New Testament in Matthew 18, uh, as you're going through church discipline, um, where, where, where Jesus says where two or more are gathered, they'll be with you. And it's not talking about the church gathered. It's like when you bring something forward against someone, two or three witnesses. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses, uh, verse 19, I believe, uh, you also, if you bring something against an elder, you need two or three witnesses. So it's not just you on your own. There's other people who are, who are bringing the evidence before him. So as Paul brought this charge to Timothy, his two witnesses was God the Father, the one who made the heavens and the earth, one who reigns in the heavens, who the earth is his footstool, and Jesus Christ. And he says more about Christ Jesus. He said, who is to judge the living and the dead. Amazing. Second Corinthians uh, 5 verse 10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Or Hebrews 9.27, Just as it is a point for man to die once, and after that, comes the judgment. You just think, think just for Timothy for a moment, like we have James chapter 3, verse 1. It says um, that not everyone should presume to be teachers because we who teach will be judged more strictly. And Proverbs 10, verse, 10, verse 19 uh, says, where many words are present, sin is not absent. And even Hebrews 13, 17 talks about how, the, uh, how we should uh, submit to our leaders because they're going to have to give account for our souls. And so Timothy, being a preacher, he's using many words. He's speaking lots. He is a leader. He's going to have to give account to people's souls on that day. And not only for Timothy, how sobering it is, there's a judgment to come, stand before the Lord, but everyone who is listening to him, everyone had an opportunity to speak to, they're going to be there too on that day. Do you ever think about the judgment to come? He also says in this charge of Christ Jesus and by his appearing in his kingdom, he's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Like Timothy, do you hear what's happening? There's a judgment to come. Christ's coming back again. And in almost every New Testament book, there's a reference to the second coming of Christ. God's like, don't miss this. Don't forget this. Christ is coming back. Right, The last words that we have of Jesus recorded in Revelation uh, 22, verse 20, says, Surely I am coming soon. Jesus is coming back, Timothy. Will you be ready? Will you be faithful? And, and he says also of the kingdom to come. And he's talking about a future kingdom. 2 Timothy 4.18, Paul writes, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You think, how do we enter into the kingdom of heaven, right? It's by repenting of our sins, by trusting in Jesus Christ that he took my sins, my, my, uh, the punishment I deserved on the cross, and I'm, and I'm trusting in him. And then I, I leave the kingdom of darkness because I've trusted in Christ, and I enter into the kingdom of the Son. But it's not fully there yet, right? It's this, this world, there's still darkness, there's still brokenness, <coughs> Excuse me, and it's not until Jesus returns his kingdom will come in all its fullness and so Paul is saying hey Timothy look in the present right now I'm charging you 
But remember, there's a judgment to come. Christ is coming back and his kingdom will be fully established. So look what's going to be happening in the future and then live out what I'm about to tell you now in the present. Just a question, do you often think on these eternal things? And does it motivate you how you live your life now? Does it change knowing that there's a judgment to come, knowing that Christ's return He's coming soon. Knowing that his kingdom will be fully realized in the future, does it change how we spend our time, our money? I just want to remind you, friends, this morning, we're not building our own kingdom, but we're looking towards a kingdom that will last for all of eternity. And everything right now is just, it's temporary. It's like this, and it's over, and soon we'll be facing eternity. Thank you very much. I hope I don't kick it, but we'll see. We'll see. There's no electrical around. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> so I want you just to remember that, friends. We're just, we're passing through. And uh, as we have opportunities to share our faith with others, just remember there's a judgment to come. And it, that's sobering. But like, as we have opportunity to share Christ with people, let us take advantage because this life's going to be over in a moment. May we share with those that we can while we can. But how do you keep one eye on eternity and one eye here living in the present, right? We're all, you got to eat lunch after this. You have to, we have things to do, plans in the next week, in the next month. So how do you, you keep one eye forward and one eye here? Well, it's by coming under the authority of the word of God, I believe. So that the charge or the witnesses that Paul laid out God the Father and God, God the Son. And then we see in verse 2 what he charged him to do. Preach the word. Preach the word. In our day of pragmatism and church growth ideas, as, in like what, as long as it works, you just do it. doesn't matter if you find it in Scripture or not. Or the latest trends, we are wise to see what, what Paul called Timothy to do. Like in, in the church, there's often fads and the latest language. Years ago, it was a seeker-sensitive movement. If you just take out the offensive pieces of the gospel and just bring people in, that's how you can build the church. And there are even there are great fads. It's to be missional-minded or gospel-centered everything. You just keep saying gospel-centered over and over again. Truly, if the gospel's at the center, that's an amazing thing. But there's these fads that we have in Christianity. As, as I'm going and looking to start a new church, you know, there's all these different ideas. How do you build a new church? Is it you just get together, like maybe the, the right age group? You know, people who have the same interests, or you just go to one corner of the town and you serve the community? Well, those are, those are good things, good to serve the community, but I just want to see what does is, what is, uh, God say through Paul here to Timothy? Preach the word. That's what we want to be about. And I just want to, just take a step back, like, what is preaching? <laughs> preaching is heralding or proclaiming. And by heralding, I mean, like, uh, back in the day, you know, during the, I don't know, late 1200s, 1300s, a message from the king came. And someone would show up with a big trumpet, like, drum, drum, hear ye, hear ye. I don't know why they said that. That's just how I've always <laughs> thought they'd say it. I have a message from the king. And it wouldn't be like, 
hey, I think the king's going to do something. This is my opinion what the king's going to do. You're like, no, I have a message from the king and I'm going to deliver it. That's preaching. Preaching is I have a word from God. This is not my opinion. This is not my story. I'm not here to just give you motivation. I want to proclaim a word from God. And I'm simply a messenger. That's preaching. It's heralding the word of God. Because as we'll see, preach the word. And just before chapter (laughs) 4, is chapter (laughs) 3. And we'll see in verses uh, 15 to 17 what Paul is talking about. He says to Timothy, Hey, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. It's the word which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We want to be about preaching the word of God. All scripture. And why expositional? Like, why go chapter by chapter, verse by verse? Just a quick reference to uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8, the, the Jews have returned from exile. And um, as, as the, they're gathering together again, Ezra the scribe comes, and he's going to share the word of God. They build a platform for the day. And everyone stands at the reading of the word of God. But I just want to see in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, it says of this, after they were sharing the word of God, he had a number of people help him. And they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. Or another way to interpret that clearly, they read from the the book, from the law of God, with interpretation or paragraph by paragraph. You know, it's it's not like as we we read scripture, you would never read a book and you're like, I'm just going to start in the middle. Read a few pages and and go over here. Like that would never make sense. So scripturally, we want to go book by book, Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, how did God give us this book? How, is the, how are the words arranged? What are the meanings of them? What's the grammar? What's the history? Right? And that's how we can get the truest sense of what God has told us. That's why I love what this church is about, uh, what the Redemption Churches stand on, expositional preaching. We want to know what has God said and how do we live it out. We want to preach the word of God broadly, and then very specifically, we want to lift up Jesus Christ, right? That is our only hope, and we want to keep pointing all of us to Jesus Christ. Whether, like Karen this past week, when she trusted in Jesus, or you've been a Christian for 15, 20 years, today, let's put our hope in Jesus Christ, right? We don't want to be preaching something new, we want to preach that old story, of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, how he saves sinners, how he's the friends of sinners, and how through faith and repentance we can know him and he can be at work in our hearts and our lives. So we need to be preaching the word. And he said to Timothy, well, when? When do you preach the word? In season and out of season. And it's not so much thinking like the two seasons we have in Alberta, like construction, not construction, or winter in the other two weeks, like, I don't know about you, I still keep my, my snow brushes, like, in my car. It's like, because you, you just never know. But it, it's actually, he's not talking, like, that type of seasons. He's more saying, like, in, a, in favorable times and in unfavorable times. Like, when society will smile on the church and say, wow, this is a really valuable 
a part of our community. And when society says, why does this thing even exist? So in a day and age where we live in a pluralistic society, like all roads lead to heaven, it's relative, hey, this is just true for you. When our society no longer smiles with us, where they maybe want to take our head because we're on the wrong side of history, we're going to preach the word of God. I think we're moving quickly into an unfavorable time, but not for God, because God's plans and purposes are being accomplished, right? God's saving people. God's building up the church. God is going to see more churches started here, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, but unfavorable and favorable times. And, and the preaching that Paul is calling Timothy to should be characterized by three marks, to reprove, reprove, rebuke, and exhort in complete patience and teaching. Reprove has the idea to expose, to refute, to show one's fault. Uh, commentator Philip Towner says, the task in mind is essentially that of revealing sin, bringing the hearers to the point of awareness and acknowledgement kind of shining, like this is the sin. Were you aware that this is wrong? Like God's not pleased with that. And then to rebuke, to express strong disapproval, a command, give a warning. And John MacArthur says this about those two things. To reprove is to refute error and misconduct with careful, careful biblical argument. To rebuke is to bring the erring person to repentance. The first discloses the sinfulness of sin, where the second discloses the sinfulness of the sinner. So not only you're like saying, okay, this is wrong, and do you see this in your own life that you need to confess? And then, of course, and then we need to exhort, to, to call near, to invite, to comfort. And MacArthur says this also about exhorting. It carries with it the idea of encouragement. After having reproved and rebuked disobedient believers under his care, the faithful preacher is then to come alongside them in love and encourage them to spiritual change. So Timothy's preaching needed to be aimed at the heart, letting the word convict and rebuke, but he also needed to exhort and encourage spiritual change. And how? With complete patience and teaching. I love that, with complete patience and teaching. It happens over time, right? It takes time. And that's why it's such a blessing, like week after week, to sit underneath the preaching, the proclamation of God's word as the Holy Spirit takes the word, applies it to our hearts, week after week. But it, it takes complete patience. It's like letting a flower grow, right? Like if you planted a seed in the ground, it starts to come up. You couldn't like, grow, grow faster, come on. You, it, you're not going to do anything, but you could, you could water it, you could weed around it, and let the sun hit it and it's going to start to grow so you need complete patience and teaching. Be patient in our own lives to let God's word do God's work in our hearts by his spirit. But that's why I love, I love this church. I love what you guys are about. And I, and I just so I'm praying, Lord, start another one in Red Deer and start more than that. We need more churches that were like, man, we're just, what are you going to preach on? We're going to preach the word of God, book by book. I, I just, oh, Lord, what a, what a blessing. What a blessing. So we are to preach the word in season, out of season. So that was the charge to Timothy. We want to be under the authority of God's word. But we'll see in verses 3 to 4, there's the caution 
Uh, you know, because I'm trying to make them all with C. I was like, the warning, no, the caution. <laughs> I laugh at it. <laughs> Don't turn from the word of God. That's the caution we're going to see here. The first one, come underneath the authority of the Word of God. The second is don't turn from the Word of God. Verses 3 to 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The time is coming. And you think, you wonder, like, the Apostle Paul in, in sharing that, was he also remembering uh, his own warning to the, the church at Ephesus? In Acts chapter 20, uh, verses 29 to 30, he meets with the elders from Ephesus, and he gives them this warning. He's on the way to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be bound. He doesn't know if he'll ever see them again. So he says this to the church at Ephesus, which first Timothy, Timothy was to set up elders in that church. And, and ministered later on in life, but Paul gave this warning to them. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember, for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I love that. I, com I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. So Paul had actually already even warned, hey, the church in Ephesus, there's going to be false teachers going to be raised up. People are going to go after them. Hey, Timothy, people are going to run away from sound teaching. They're going to go after whatever their ears want to hear. What is this, this sound teaching? In, in uh, 2 Timothy 1.13, Paul refers it to as follow the pattern of sound words, or it can be translated healthy, healthy words, healthy teaching. In Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, sound doctrine. Uh, a Bible commentary says this about those words, correct teaching that is in keeping with that of the apostles. The teaching is called sound, not only because it builds up the faith, but because it protects against the corrupting influences of false teachers. Like, like sound teaching is in a sense like signs. As we're walking, right, the word is a lamp to our feet, and it's like walking this way. Don't go over this way. It's showing where is the narrow path and which way to walk. But people were rejecting that. We're rejecting sound teaching. They're going after other things. People didn't want to hear the truth. They were seeking out teachers who would tell them what they wanted to hear. And you think, like, the time is coming. The book of Colossians, actually a lot of New Testament books were written in response to false teachings. The book of Colossians, there's a thing called Gnosticism, this deeper knowledge. That like, okay, yes, you have the gospel, but let me tell you how to really be holy, really be spiritual, because that's not sufficient. The book of Colossians was written in response to that. Actually, in Christ Jesus is all wisdom. He has made all things. In him is found the wisdom of God. It was written in response. So already in Paul's day, that was happening. People were running to go find teachers to tell them what they wanted to hear. You think in the church through the ages, you think of Catholicism. Maybe they had such a strong reign, no one was running to hear them, but what they heard was, hey, if you just confess your sins to a priest, uh, you, you can live how you want, just confess it and you're okay. 
People are like, oh, okay, I want to hear that. Oh, if I just take maybe the Eucharist, then I'm, I'm forgiven, but I can live like the world? Or in t- our today's age, we have uh, the, the whole health and wealth. You can have your best life now. You're like, God wants me to be healthy and wealthy? You're like, I want that too. Absolutely. Like, it appeals to our, to our base nature, right? Our sinful nature. Or even uh, with Bethel these days. Of, of preaching a different gospel, a different Jesus, of saying, hey, if we put your faith in Christ, we can actually be greater than Jesus and do greater things that he did and, and be uh, extremely powerful and amazing. And so people will reject sound teaching, sound doctrine, and they'll just run after what they want to hear. It's happening in today's age. But that is why we can't be the judge of things. We need scripture to remain the authority over us. George Whitfield, the, the preacher who was used greatly in the first great awakening in Britain and in America, he said this, if we once get above our Bibles and cease making the written word of God our sole rule, both as to faith and practice, we shall sh- soon lie open to all manner of delusion. Right? If you think that sound doctrine is, is, like, a, is like a measuring tape, is like a, a level, <laughs> and this is how we know what is straight, like, would you ever want someone, if you were building a new home and the construction worker came and they didn't have any levels or measuring tapes or anything, and then you went into your house and you may put a marble down, it like rolls that way, rolls that way, like it's totally off. And they're like, well, how'd you build this thing? You're like, just by feeling. I just, you know, just kind of eye it out. Like, no, you want something that tells you what straight is. And that's what sound doctrine does, right? Because for all of us, I think our tendency is actually to drift, and we need that, that rule outside of ourselves to tell us what is true and what is good and what we should be about. So how do we keep from straying ourselves, right? How do we, we don't want to wander away from the word of God. We want to be like uh, the people we see in Acts 17.11. The apostle Paul just uh, left Thessalonica, but it said of the, the Bereans. We want to yeah, be like the Bereans, uh, who are of more noble character than the Thessalonians, because every day they heard Paul preach, they would then pick up, well, their scriptures, their scrolls, and search to see if what Paul said was true. That's what we want to keep doing. That's why I love the first time that we attended uh, the church in Calgary. Uh, Pastor Trevor said, okay, I don't have anything for you. Let's open up the Bible together. Everyone open up the scripture so we can see, if th- is this what God is saying? And so even to keep um, myself, uh, preachers accountable, everyone, open up the word together. Do you see what I'm sharing with you? Is it not how it is written? So we want to be like the Bereans. We want to develop an appetite for sound doctrine, right? Habitually. Tuning our ears to the truth. Like on Sunday mornings, the rather regularly preaching of the word of God, and then throughout the week, we want to keep opening up the scripture and getting in and knowing what is true uh, in groups and individually with your families. And that's the beauty of the church too is we have one another to encourage each other. Man, did you, did you open up the scripture this week? Are you getting in the word? What is God teaching you uh, through that? A great book I, I I love that you guys are passing out books. I think that's, that's wonderful. Another book, if you'd like to read, it's called You Can Change by Tim Chester. 
And I'm just grabbing an example from it, but I'm like, I might as well just reference it. If you want a, a good book to read, it's, it's about you can change. It's basically like you begin by believing in Jesus Christ and you continue in your faith by Jesus Christ. There's a lot more in it. But he has this great example I want to grab hold of, talking about how do we, as we tune our ears to sound doctrine, there's a, taken from Greek mythology, so I may kind of uh, obliterate the names here. Forgive me. So in Greek mythology, they had these, these sirens uh, who would call out to the sailors, and then the sailors would be drawn to the rocks, and they'd smash into the rocks. And so they'd, two people had different ways to do it. The first guy, Odysseus, see, I don't know how to say his name, but he, what he did is he filled his crew's ears with wax, and he told them to tie him to the mast so then they wouldn't be drawn in to the sirens singing. But the second guy, Orpheus, a lot easier to say his name. But what he did is he himself played such beautiful music on the harp that the sailors didn't even hear the sound of the sirens. And I think that's what we want to be about as we get into God's word, as we hear the regular preaching of the word. We want to so be accustomed to hearing what is true and good and beautiful from the word of God. We're not, we don't even hear these other false teachers going on over there. We want to be focused on the truth of God's word. So continue. Don't, don't turn from the word of God with the warning we have here, uh, but regularly sit under the proclamation of it, reading it daily, tuning your ear and your heart toward the Lord and to his truth. So there we, we saw the charge. Sit under the authority of the word of God. The warning, don't turn from the word of God. And now the call to live out the word of God. Notice it says in, in verse 5, as for you, like here's the warning, here's what other people may do, but as for you, Timothy, like we're called to be different. We're not called to wander from the truth, but, but to know it and by God's grace to live it. So first for Timothy, as for you, always be so reminded and you're suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And Timothy did that. He preached the word. He planted churches. He raised up elders, right? Paul's called to him, 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And Timothy did that. He raised up other disciples. He was faithful to the end. It says this about the end of Timothy's life in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Timothy was an overseer in Ephesus until A.D. 97. In that year, the Ephesian pagans were celebrating a feast called Cantagonian. When Timothy watched their pagan procession, he blocked their way and severely rebuked them for their idolatry. His holy boldness angered the pagans and they attacked him with clubs and beat him so badly he died of his injuries two days later. He endured suffering. He fulfilled his ministry. Timothy was faithful. But I believe verse 5 is, is really is for all of us. Let us see. To, we are called to be sober-minded, to be clear-headed, be self-controlled. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We are in a spiritual battle, the spiritual fight. So we need to be self-controlled. We need to have our head up. Be spiritually alert. Know what is true, what is sound doctrine, right? Eternity is on the line, heaven and hell. Again, think of that charge to Timothy. There's a judgment to come, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, 
Guard yourselves. Be spiritually alert. Guard yourselves against entertainment and comfort. I think here in Canada, that's something that will actually cause us to no longer be sober-minded. We kind of take our eye off of what's to come and be focused on the here and now. Or especially uh, media, right? A media continually teaches us, like, it's, it's actually all about me. It's all about me right now and my comfort in my life. But then we, then we read in Scripture, and it tells us that we should pick up our cross daily and follow Christ. And our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We should look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. And it's so contradictory with what the media and commercials are constantly throwing at us. Be sober-minded. Don't be distracted or taken captive by, by news. <laughs> These days, I don't know about you, but the more time I'd spend on news, I'm just like, man, I just get so down. Like, okay, be aware of what's going on out there. And even like politically, we're like, man, if this person gets in power, this person's in power. But just remember, like God's word remind us that actually God's the one who puts people in power. And that, that God's on the throne and he reigns and he's in control of all things and we can trust him. So that's being sober-minded. And I think, uh, this world will do everything we can, it can to take our mind and our eye off of that, just so we're so focused on the here and now. Be spiritually alert. That's a call for us all. Endure suffering. And you think of how the Apostle Paul suffered, he wrote this letter. He says in 3 verse 10, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. At that time, he's referring to Acts chapter 19, as he was preaching, and he went to Lystra. Uh, a bunch of people came, and they stoned Paul. They, even, they thought he was dead. They left him for dead, and he got back up again, went into town, encouraged the disciples, went to the next town, Derby, and kept preaching the gospel. So he says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, right? That is, that is our road to walk. And we are following godly brothers and sisters who have walked before in the past, who are walking it currently now in many parts of the world. Jesus shared with his disciples in John 16.33, I've said these things to you, that in me you, you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Just think about the contrast between uh, the culture we live in and, and the scripture, right? Where the, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth against our own society. It says, no, it was just random and we, it just happened. There was just this big bang. So already there's a, there's a tension there. If you would keep reading and then you'd read that God made them male and female. He created them. We're like, God actually created sexes, and they're distinct and unique. And then our society would say, it's actually, there's a continuum. Can you see the tension that's building? Or if you, if you kept reading in, in uh, Genesis 2.24, talking about marriage, for this reason a man shall leave his parents and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That God defined what marriage was between a man and a woman, where our society just kind of stamp it with love and it can be whatever you want it to be do you see the tension or if we say and agree with acts 4 12 
that salvation is found in no one else, and there's no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved. We're saying Jesus Christ is our only hope, our only way to be reconciled to a holy God compared with our own society. It says, hey, all pass can lead to heaven, or hey, what's true for you isn't true for me. Do you see the collision course that is already happening that will continue to increase? But it says, endure suffering. Suffer well. Be faithful to God. And that's another reason why we need the church, why we need to gather with believers to encourage one another as we hear the word of God, as we sing praises to the Lord, to build one another up. We are to endure suffering, to persevere in the faith. Like just, I want to remind you, like, keep going, right? This is temporal. In the future, I don't know how soon, but we'll, if we're faithful, receive a crown of righteousness, a crown of righteousness just like the Apostle Paul. That's what's coming. Eternity with God in heaven. It'll be wonderful. An old saint, old Puritan Samuel Rutherford says this, our little time of suffering is not worthy of our first night welcome home to heaven. So remember that. May we endure suffering for his namesake. And then do the work of an evangelist. And I don't think this is not a call for everyone to be the next Billy Graham in the room. But all of us are called to share our faith. We're all called, using the Ephesians 6 language, right? Ephesians 6, where you have the the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the belt of truth, but the feet that are fitted with the readiness of the gospel. Do you have beautiful feet? Are your feet, are you ready? Are you ready to share the gospel with those around you to make his name known, right? I love the the mission statement of our church is we want to make Christ's name known. We want to see the lost saved. We, we do believe that Jesus is the only way. I truly believe that the message that we have of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we live in such a broken world, right? We see it if you just turn on the news for about a moment, and they're all looking for some sort of solution, but the solution is in Jesus Christ because only he can change the heart. And we don't even realize, or many people don't realize too, that the biggest problem they have is they're going to have to stand before a holy God on judgment day. And with their own righteousness, they'll never uh, make God's uh, merits. It's only through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have the answer to the world's brokenness. Jesus Christ, he's the one who can bring true forgiveness, right? True healing, true restoration, salvation. So just a, a question to that. Who in your life needs to hear the gospel. Who do you have in friends or family members or co-workers? I would just encourage you, just think through who you know, who needs to hear about Jesus, and write down like three people. Write down their names and just start praying for them. Start praying for those three people every day. Praying for their salvation. And then start looking for opportunity just to connect with them. It's not like the first thing you say, you jump in and start sharing the gospel, but start connecting with them. Have them over for a meal. However you interact with those people, and you're like, you've been praying for a long time for them, so as you're interacting with them, you're looking for opportunities to share Christ with them. Because we just want to keep telling 
everyone we can about Jesus and what he did on the cross while we can because these days are limited, right? Our, the moments are slipping away. So may we do the work of an evangelist. And then lastly, Paul says, fulfill your ministry. Will we live our lives for what God has called us to do or will we go after other things? I just want to think in terms of two contexts to fulfill your ministry. The first is the church gathered, right? The, the coming together of believers. Uh, where can you serve here in the church? Where can you help out? What opportunities exist here? Or how has God gifted you uh, here at the church and, and if you don't know, that's why we have the, the body. You ask other people, hey, how do you think God has gifted me? How could I help out here? So we want to fulfill our ministry as the, as the saints gather together. But all, really, a big chunk of our lives is, is scattered, right? It's, it's not our meeting. It's actually when we're apart. And how are you, can you fulfill your ministry when you're not together anymore? And just, just thinking, like, who are your friends? Where do you work? You know, we can do our work to the glory of the Lord. Just like working with all our might. We want to do things with excellence because it honors the king. Who are your coworkers? Where do you live? Who are your neighbors, right? What, what needs do they have? Of course, we could think in terms of sharing faith, but maybe, hey, maybe they're older. Maybe they need some help with some yard work or something. How can you serve those who are around you? Are you married? Do you have children? If you're single, who is in your family? And you just, just start thinking like, man, I read as a husband, I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Lord, help me. There's so much in Scripture to encourage, to exhort husbands and wives and, and parents to children. And so we have important ministries as you just start thinking of, of who you are and where you are. But so as we can see, as we talk about fulfill your ministry, God's word helps us walk this out daily. As the Holy Spirit applies it to our hearts in the context that we live in, so when we think about just fulfilling your ministry, think of just the parable of the talents. We've all been given uh, salvation, knowledge of Christ, different gifts and abilities that we're not to just hold on, we're not to just put off to the side, we're to use for the glory of God. The old, old saint I don't know why I call everyone old saints, but uh, <laughs> people in the past. This man named C.T. Studd, he was a cricketer. Does any, anyone ever played cricket? I realize I'm like, no one actually has played cricket. But he was like, okay, a few. He was like the LeBron James of cricket or the Sidney Crosby of cricket, or I'll run out of analogies of, of, of sports. But he was like amazing at cricket. But he got called to the Lord, and he actually like turned his back on sports world has turned his back on like a rich inheritance from his parents and became a missionary uh, to Africa. And he wrote this CT stud, only one life so soon it will pass and only what's done for Christ will last. I think that's, that summarizes fulfill your ministry. As Paul equipped and sent out Timothy, so does the church equip and send out people today. As we're spreading the gospel, as we're seeing disciples made, God willing, we're seeing more churches planted as you guys have started and grown here in Olds. Oh, Lord, may you do that in Red Deer. May you see that happen there. 
So I just want you to, to see this morning the charge, the blessing of sitting under expository preaching, of hearing the word of God. That's God's way to build the local church, is the preaching of the word. I want you to see the caution and remember that. Uh, we don't want to walk and turn towards what is false. But we want to tune our ears and our hearts to God's word and know what is sound doctrine. And then the call that we would live out clearly what we see revealed in the word of God and that we would do it by his spirit and by his grace. Isn't that the beauty of the, the God we serve? Like actually, the reality is as we walk, as we stumble, as we fall, we do not do it perfectly, but the Lord has grace and forgiveness and mercy for us. And that's actually the true Christian walk. It's not just like walking in a straight, it's like walking and falling and getting hurt and others pick you up and maybe you take some steps back, but you keep going by his grace and his mercy. The word of God. And it's all to the glory of God because he is the one who does it in us. And so he gets all the praise. And so just as I close now, we'll, we'll respond here in a moment uh, to the word of God preached and we're going to sing more Praise uh, to our Lord. If you just bow with me as I close this time of prayer. Holy Father, I thank you so much uh, for the chance to open up your word together here on the Sunday morning. I pray you'd seal that word in our hearts that we would be able to trust you more as we open up the words of Scripture. Holy Spirit, help us to fix our eyes upon the Father. Help us to have Christ formed in us, O oh Lord, and come to know you more and more that you would always